0: Let's go. Go. You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make
1: the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. Podcast listeners, Al Martin, I'm back. I don't think I ever leave, but I'm I'm back. I'm ready to do another podcast with you. Look at this. Here's what I'm going to do to start this podcast. Paul, do you have a beer with you?
0: No, I, I didn't. I wasn't queued up on this, man. I, I feel like I should, but uh, I'll, I'll make sure to make up for it some other time.
1: Actually, it's a water, but don't tell anybody. <laughs> it's all good. Hey, um, let me jump right in. We're going to have some fun today. I think it's it's back to Moneyball. Uh, well, we'll see if it's Moneyball. My guest is Paul Basir. He's been working in predictive analytics for greater than 15 years. He is one of the world's most Foremost authorities are predicting sports, which is great. I need help with my fantasy. Uh, This is going to be urgent as we start. I've came in like third place. No, yeah, third place the last three years. So I I need something to bump me. I feel like Marty Schottenheimer from the Kansas City Chiefs. I just (laughs) cannot get over the, the hump. He is now the VP of Coterie Insurance. And prior to Coterie, he was the VP of Advanced Analytics at Amend Consulting. He's helped mid-market clients, like in many sports teams, like that of the Cincinnati Reds and the University of Cincinnati Athletics, make more efficient decisions using using data. He's also worked for Western and Southern Fox Sports. He founded and exited his own company, Prediction Machine, which simulated real-time outcomes of over 100,000 events a year. Across over a hundred leagues in seven di- seven different sports, Paul lives in Cincinnati, Ohio. I guess that's the Reds in the in this uh, the University of Cincinnati connection. Does that mean you're a Bengals, a Reds, and a Ohio State fan, or or help me out here? It, no, it doesn't. Uh, and I almost I know
0: we don't know each other that well yet, but I almost am insulted by that a little bit. Because <laughs> I grew up in Wisconsin. I went to and taught at the University of Cincinnati, helped them with their athletic program, as you mentioned. And so like Ohio State is about as like you can't go further down in terms of what I, my allegiance is uh, in any sport, let alone in college football.
1: I find that, that that's interesting. We could have a whole, whole <laughs> podcast on. <laughs> on that Paul. And that either, like, if you're in the state of Ohio, you either all in or all out. Oh yeah. Why well, there, is is that? there
0: is no possible middle ground. You know, if you're up in like the Toledo area, there's a, it's, it is like Michigan or Ohio state and that's it. Most of the rest of the state loves Ohio State, but uh, I I did not come from or I'm not from here originally, so uh, I bring my non Ohio State very much Wisconsin. Nobody else in the Big Ten uh, is worth my time uh, allegiance with.
1: <laughs> what about the Reds? or I, the Bengals. It's interesting so
0: I I'm a, I'm a huge Bengals fan now obviously the city is just electric. You're gonna go or, you are going to go Green Bay or exactly. But I am a I am a Pack. <laughs> so it's funny because uh uh well growing up uh, during the the Packer uh I, I don't know if heyday is the right term but we had one Super Bowl win and another Super Bowl loss and uh, while I was growing up and then you know since then another Super Bowl. So my family everybody in my family owns shares in the Green Bay Packers. So we actually are all, not just Packer fans, but Packer owners, which is- the- Are you a personal owner as well? I am a personal owner. So I'm, a, I'm an NFL owner, is probably what you should have said at the beginning of the
1: podcast. <laughs> so the Bengals aren't worth anything to you?
0: Yeah, well, the, I like I, I live downtown, so it's a, exciting when the city is, uh, has the buzz and the energy. Let's just put it that way.
1: Brett Favre is your god, then. He was, uh, growing up, he, he,
0: we lived, uh, we lived with, uh, we lived with it all. Let's just put it that way. He, he, he was every possible extreme every week. And yet that was, that was our, yes, that was our hero growing up for sure.
1: Now is Rogers a hero or no? Well, I mean,
0: both of them are interesting people altogether. together, but, uh, but uh, <laughs> no so watching, there's two people, the, they're, those two, and of course, I'm extremely biased, but those two, if anybody you could go back and watch in the history of the NFL, those are the two guys that I think are the most exciting to watch, whether they're always playing great or not, and whether you agree with everything that they might be or stand for outside of it is not the point, but on the field, they both made magic in two completely
1: different ways. I think I would agree with you on Favre. Oh, that guy was amazing to watch. On, on Rogers, mm, I don't know. He's just a different duck. I think that's yeah. the whole thing. It's, it's hard to. I can't figure what he's thinking. I don't know.
0: <laughs> he sees that's the tough. game totally different than anybody else probably ever has, and I don't know. If, I, I don't know what is allowing that to be the case, but uh, <laughs> it's it's back to back MVPs as well.
1: So you are a sports nut. You must yeah. be. Yeah, yeah. So for the the listeners, before we jumped on. I'm sure you can see my Kansas City yep. football helmet in the back here, and uh, you've done some work in Kansas City. I have, so you know, as,
0: as part of the the work that I did with Fox uh, and then a couple other startups in the in the sports data space. And I love just the whole premise of this specific podcast because it's it's my whole life. It's how to make the it's how to take not just data, but how to take like predictive analytics, the so what of the data, and make it yep. make sense to everybody. And in sports, where you know. Any all fans are interested in the outcomes of what we might say. Um, I I, there you had to we really had to take it to you know kind of the 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 I wouldn't call it lowest common denominator, we call it the greatest common denominator in terms of really trying to understand how do we portray the message of what we think is going to happen to all of the fans, whether that's for just their fandom, whether that's for their fantasy league, as you just mentioned, whether they're looking to head to Nevada or one of the other states where gambling is legal these days. I make a wager, and in that case. I did a lot of radio interviews, podcasts, et cetera, around sports predictions. And, you know, the reason I could do that was uh, it was all math driven. I didn't have to watch all the games. I did, but, you know, that's just because I'm a sports fan. But I didn't just watch all the games, or I didn't have to watch all the games. I could tell you on radio in Boise, Idaho, what's going to happen with Boise State and Wyoming without having to really know much about those teams. And the place where I was on the air the most was actually Kansas City. Uh, so every week, for almost an entire hour, uh, every single week i would I would uh, sit in with radio uh, in Kansas City, Sirin Petro, uh, who has become a good friend of mine, uh, and talk to him about not just the chiefs I would remember I remember we would try to cover as many sports as possible in every conversation, basically, just to try to figure out like what are the limits of what the predictions or the, what the data could really uh, to, could really tell us, and we would usually have context on pretty much everything he, he could ask me.
1: So what do you do? You sit there. Do you have all your data right in front of you? And as Seren asked you a question, you say, hold on just a moment, or you got this memorized? I mean, how does this work?
0: Yeah, a little bit of memory, uh, especially by the time you know I would get to that point, because I was doing 30 to 40 radio interviews yeah. every single week. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, you know, I've, I, I, cringe these days. I usually only have one tab open, uh, back then I would have like 40 or 50 tabs open and I just fly <laughs> back and forth between them. And I could tell you what's going to happen between, or at least what the likeliest outcome would happen between the Kansas Jayhawk basketball team and, you know, yeah. the Texas tech that weekend while still being able win. to win. To, of course obviously uh, well, and in, in those days especially but yeah uh, and uh, and then be able to help prepare for the draft because uh, you know one of the things that doesn't show up necessarily in my bio uh, but that I, I do work in is I own an NFL agency and I try to track and project what players are going to look like in their careers in the NFL
1: so was that when you were doing interviews with Soren Petra were you yeah. part of the prediction machine or is it that... yeah
0: prediction machine exactly
1: that was and that was your
0: own company that
1: you created that was, your... yep, it was
0: my brother and I really and 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 the, the, you talk about like the complexity and the, the sheer volume of data and big data, theoretically, right? And 100,000 events sounds like a ridiculous number. Um, and we did baseball, basketball, football, hockey, soccer, 66 leagues in soccer, every horse race in North America. Sounds, sounds huge. We never had more than four full-time employees and two contractors. So with six people every year, because of automation, because we put the data to work for us, we could come up with the predictions for all of those events.
1: So I'm trying to figure out who are you? Are you like a an insurance guy, a gambler, a tech guy, I, a sports guy? I, I, <laughs> I love.
0: First of all, I love the question. Uh, second of all, is <laughs> you're gonna, you're gonna <laughs> call, force me to be a little bit introspective here. I, I love solving problems, and here's the thing: I'm lazy. I love solving problems, <laughs> but I don't want. I I'll it's never forget bad. this, and, and I'll I'll leave the guy's name out of it because he's just a representation of of whole concept. I remember listening, seminal moment of my life back in like 04. uh, I was finished up grad school, which was in statistics. um, And I was listening to the GM of the Cincinnati Reds talk about and thank, he was at his introduction press conference, and he was thanking everybody who had helped him get to where he was. He was 52-ish years old. And he said, I made no money, I scratched and clawed and I worked my way up and I got lucky and yada, yada, yada. You you understand where that's going. And I was like, man, I don't want to do that for one shot at a job where you're going to get fired and scrutinized within
1: three years. (laughs) Like... (laughs) And so I at that oh, that's from, funny. Uh, I thought you were going to say it was an amazing speech. You no, took a completely different avenue, totally, totally.
0: <laughs> and from then on, you know, I was involved in startups where you know I controlled my, I had autonomy over what you know what i w- questions I was answering, and I found the most efficient, quickest ways to those answers. I, I used to, to I played a lot of poker around those that time period as well online, and you know the analogy, it, it, it was the year of like Chris Moneymaker, and you know Doyle Brunson, who's. I, felt like he was in his 80s then and is still, still alive today, uh, was one of the best poker players ever. But that's because he had seen so he had seen the game. He had seen it so many times, he understood what would happen. Bill Belichick, as I coached the, the Patriots, the same way. Greg Popovich, the coach of the Spurs in the NBA, the same way. They just see the game. They spent so much time. And I was like, yeah, but I could analyze 10,000 hands of poker in like an hour. And Doyle Brunson had to spend years getting to that point. Data allowed us to cut corners and I felt as though I'd love to find the answers to all the same questions those guys are trying to figure out in their minds, but by leveraging technology and information, not by spending the next you know, 30 years of my life just trying to get that one shot at a job that I would have for a couple of years and, you know, and that would be my legacy.
1: So when you say they see the game, you're saying Belichick, he's like a walking data repository statistics, and he's doing these in his heads, and he, he's seen it so many times. I know what the probability of this outcome exactly. is. This
0: That's exactly my point is, is that I believe that those guys can see it. I also realized I probably never will be. <laughs> I could watch 10,000 hours of, of NFL tape and maybe be able to be at that level, but I can crunch hundreds of thousands of plays in NFL history and get to that level much quicker. And that's that That was a decision I made you know, on the spot. And that's obviously the sports component of it, which was my passion and remains a passion of mine to this day. But to me, that's how you translate data, if you will, into problem solving.
1: And, so you still didn't answer my question, though. You, <laughs> did you say problem solver? I I'm, mean, if I got to push you over the fence and you got to identify as one attribute, whether it's, like I said, gambler, insurance guy, tech guy, sports Guy, entrepreneur, uh, problem solver. What is it? I think problem solver. I, I think
0: problem solver. I'll, I'll tell you what I'm motivated by. The biggest thing I'm motivated by, and this is true of my brother as well, who he and I were in business together for, for the vast majority of my career. Um, we wanted to change the game, you know? And that's the the day that we sold Prediction Machine. Um, the, uh, the editor-in-chief of, of ESPN at the time sent me a text. He said, you changed the game. And there's nothing that empowers me or compels me more going forward, and pr- probably up until that point, than trying to change a game that feels broken. And insurance, especially the commercial space where we are right now, <laughs> is about as broken as it gets. Yes, there could be, fin- and hopefully it should be and will be financial benefit and stability for me and my family if we can change the game. But I really just want to find the inefficiencies and change the game. And if that means I'm a problem solver, I think that's probably the best answer.
1: All right, good answer. That strikes me as, you know, and that should be your motto. It's like, see the game, Change the game. There you go. All right, right, you, know <laughs> right you know what? You know what? I I hate the Patriots for obvious reasons, probably. Yeah. And I was really never a Belichick fan until I felt like he changed the game, and that was you, you look. You being a sports guy, you're going to know this. Maybe you can explain this. I'm going to butcher it. I don't yeah. remember it. He he was. I think they were playing Baltimore Ravens, and I think it was the uh, championship game, and he put an eligible receiver out you spread an ineligible receiver out as far as he could go. And, you know, like the common thought is you you don't cover him because he's ineligible. He can't do nothing out there, but because traditional thinkers are like, well, you got to cover him. There's a player out there. there. There's a guy, there's a player out there. there. I got to cover him. So they, they cover him, which opens up the middle. And uh, I mean, they got like 40 yards on the play or something.
0: Yeah. And then they did
1: the same play again.
0: (laughs) So, The, the, and, and he, you know, not that he's done everything perfect necessarily with even on the, you know, on the field or otherwise, but you have to be willing, the best, maybe a good way to phrase it, stay with the sports analogy for a second. I used to say this all the time, 85-ish percent, and I've made up a different number every time, but the vast majority of what I've done in my career is telling people that Michael Jordan was good at basketball. Most of what we find in predicting outcomes of games is obvious. The Patriots are currently better, or sorry, the, the Chiefs are currently better than the Jaguars. I think everyone would agree. That's true. Everyone would also agree Michael Jordan was good at basketball, but it's that 15% that you have to be comfortable challenging conventional wisdom and backing it up with either in his mind, his understanding of how that would be, uh, be addressed And the way I would then try to extrapolate that to my line of thinking, being able to challenge 100% of what's out there, the 85% is going to agree with conventional wisdom, but what can we find out about that extra 15% or even if it's 2%? The the Tampa Bay Rays believe that that is a 2% margin that you could possibly glean out of doing everything perfect versus not perfect in baseball. But they focus on that 2%. I think it's a higher than that, but that's the whole point is like, what can you really find from that? From that, what is different than conventional wisdom, wisdom, and where is there opportunity to then exploit that with the in the inefficiencies?
1: Your point being that fifteen percent or that two percent being a yeah, differentiator of champions and yeah. non-champions. Exactly. Look, I want to get to the fifteen percent, but Perfect. before I move on, we've been we jumped right in. So fascinating. I would like you to pause and just give us a little bit of your history, where you came from, because you got an interesting history going through. Um, you know, prediction machine working for Fox sports and now you're at insurance. So I want to dive into why insurance, but you got to get me there first. Sure. Of course.
0: So, um, I, I, and I started, I love saying this when I meet people, I know I've been working in insurance now for 18 straight months. Um, and I love telling people that before that I was in insurance for four years, but those four years were from 18 to 22 as an intern at Western Southern Life Insurance Group, which is now a Fortune 500 company and wasn't then. The people I know there still love to tell me that it only became that after I was there. Uh, but I I wore a suit every day. I was a finance major as an undergrad. I worked for an insurance. I worked for a, uh, an investment company within an insurance company, and but. I mean, I was an intern. I would, I, I filled out spreadsheets and learned Excel basically back in 2000 to 2004. And that's what I thought my life was going to be, was wearing a suit every day and working in finance. And that probably would have been lucrative. I don't know how fun it would have been, but it would have been lucrative to just stay down that path.
1: And I was I mean, going to say the people yeah. that you're talking about, I mean, that, that's like a Fortune 500 company now. They, they're they rich. They're off all following your work.
0: work. But, and, and they're all probably doing fine. I'm doing fine too. And yet, and yet, <laughs> and yet I, it was the timing was perfect. Uh, the University of Cincinnati had it was in year three of of a, of a graduate program that is now business analytics, which is one of the considered in a few different uh, um, publications as the best in the world. And back then was still relatively new. And I'm like, there's something here. I want. Basically, it was my laziness again that said, I don't really want to have to figure all of this out forever on my own. Let's use this technology and whatever data is and come up with that. And from then on, I realized, yeah, the biggest application of that information was sports. So I worked for a, I'll tell the very quick version of the story. I'm working at Western Southern. Western Southern owned a real estate company and a bunch of buildings, uh, downtown Cincinnati. In my office, which was 420 East 4th Street, I would play fantasy sports every day. I'll own that. I owned it then. And I reached out to one of the companies where I played fantasy sports, which was one And I sent an email that would change my life. And I said, Hey, do you have any internships coming up? I've got six months off. Like, can I do anything to help you work at this, this one while, while sitting in my work office with my work email and the guy who responded to me, Tarek Kamel, who is now an entrepreneurial legend here in the area Said, you know, nothing now. Get back to us when you're close to that time period. Normal, totally normal response. Except he said, P.S., you sent this from your work email address, 424 East 4th Street. We're located at 420 East 4th Street, Cincinnati, Ohio. I didn't even know they were in Cincinnati. I was just going to work from home. And yet they were next door. (laughs) They were next door. And so from then on, I worked for this, I wore shorts and a t-shirt every day and usually a hat and talked about sports for the next 17 years of my life. Going from that company, which where he did simulation analysis on historical events, who would win between like the 68 Chiefs and the 96 Packers, probably the Packers, but that's not the point.
1: And no, uh, <laughs> we had Len Dawson then. I was going to say, I, I'll pay my respects to Len Dawson
0: and say it would at least be close. <laughs> um, but, you know, and where we did that to then, you know, that being acquired by Fox, where I worked for a little while spun off to then look forward because Fox didn't want to get into like the fantasy and gambling comp- potential components of what I was doing, ran my company for, uh, almost eight years, predictionmachine.com, taught bracketology at the university of Cincinnati for about five years during that span as well,
1: <laughs> Wow, which
0: was a real class for credit. And it was a master's level cr- class for most of the time I was teaching it. Um, And I ultimately wanted to kind of move on. I wanted to become a fan again, and I wanted to find another game to change, or at least to try to take my stab at changing. And so, you know, I I spent some time in, in, in consulting, loved consulting, but I didn't own what I was doing. Didn't end up, the final product wasn't mine was able to help a lot of companies and learn a lot in the process, made some amazing partners uh, and, and friends and, co- and, and met some potential or colleagues back then that were great. It helped to kind of mold the data person I am today. But it wasn't until you know connecting with our CEO, David McFarland and a couple other people at Coterie where I realized like Coterie insurance, and not just Coterie insurance, business insurance is 2002 baseball. It's the Oakland A's. At least I hope is the other days. It's it's Moneyball. We are ripe for Moneyball. The industry is ripe for Moneyball today, because of the the pervasiveness of data, how much we can consume, but the fact that nobody's, I think, under people understand in the our our competition, the carriers and the the big players that are too big to fail, in a lot of cases, um, understand where the inefficiencies are. They just don't have the incentive nor the wherewithal to exploit them. And I think you can do that with data. And that's a lot of the transition is seeing that this market looks very similar to what the sports market looked like 20 years ago.
1: Wow. There's a lot there, man. <laughs> I got a lot of questions I could add. So <laughs> I don't know. I'm actually dumbfounded a little bit. And this doesn't happen to me very often. Now, let's start. <laughs> look, I want to talk about the money ball and the insurance piece, but yep. on the prediction machine that was after Western Southern, yeah. So I worked for Western Southern though just
0: as, just as an intern and I was wearing a suit and then oh, I, okay. I ended up, yeah, I ended up uh, leaving that entirely after grad school and, and diving, going away from finance as my goal and, and or insurance and diving deep into the sports analytics side. So that was, I, I was in insurance for four years as an intern in college and then left it until <laughs> 2021.
1: So you came back to it, but the prediction machine, how many years did you have? And that was your own company, right?
0: Yep. Yeah, that was about, uh, we started in early 2009, sold it in 2016. I continued the earn out work and, you know, the transition work of that business to our acquiring company um, through 2018. So I was still doing that uh, for almost a full decade.
1: This may be an obvious answer, but why sell it? Yeah, it sounds like that's your perfect, you know, at two, the time. Well, two I mean, answers,
0: two very obvious answers that, to me that are not obvious to anybody else, you know, that I lived. Uh, 2015. <laughs> I'll never forget. I, I was sitting on my couch, week one of the NFL season, 2015, um, in my basement. I had a wall of TVs. I, you, could, you could walk down anytime from 2010 to 2015. You could walk in my basement and ask me what the score was of any NFL game, who had the ball, what our prediction was, and you know, where they were on the field. And I could tell you all of it. I paid attention to all of it. I actually loved that. For Dude, the most part. this may
1: be an addiction. Just, just. Yeah.
0: Well, that's part of the problem. So, but at that point, daily, daily fantasy sports had come out. We had predictions on every game. I have my own allegiances to the Packers, and you know, uh, my wife. Of is course, everybody does. Fans, right? yeah. yeah, yeah. And then, um, and then, my own fantasy teams and our fantasy prediction, predictions. And I sat down. I looked up at the screen, looked at all the games, and I felt numb. No. Week one NFL 2015. That was a just telling moment to me because I know almost every play helped and hurt me because there was so much going on that I had predictions. And it wasn't like you could hedge all of that. None of it, all of it just kind of helped a little bit. And some of those things kind of hurt what, you know, I had staked in for my predictions or my analysis and optimization. I lost, it lost all the fun almost immediately to me in one moment. And I wanted to become a fan again. And I actually, you know, Wait wait a second.
1: Wait, 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 wait. I want to make sure I understand you're saying that, you're looking at your 20 TVs or whatever it is yep. on your wall. I don't know if you're betting or not. I presume you are. You've got some analytics or whatever. And it's just like, it's all work to you and you're not having fun anymore. Yep. Is that what you yep. just said?
0: Basically. Yeah. Okay. And I was
1: like, you yeah. said there's two reasons though. Yep.
0: Yeah. That's one. The other one's was opportunity. So at that time, uh, sports betting was only legal in two States. It's only fully, was only fully legal in one state, uh, Nevada um and i didn't want to move to nevada to really capitalize on the upside of what we were doing cuz the technology itself actually ended up being ideal optimal for trying to predict what would happen during a game and this is really important actually to think about as it relates to insurance okay in 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 both at that time, this is back in 2016 when we were looking to sell the company, and we ultimately sold the company. In 2016, the way that a sports book would look at an in game betting so during the game, you can actually bet who you think is going to win while the game's going on because the, but the, obviously that has changed. But they would look and say, okay, in the history of the NFL, for instance, when a team has the ball on the 25 yard line at home, down three points. With on their own 25-yard line, down three points, with four minutes left to go, how often does that team go on to win the game? And that's what they would use to set the odds where you can bet. What we did was say, what are these two teams going to do? Because it matters whether it's Patrick Mahomes or Mac Jones. You know, it matters who's playing in those games. But nobody was doing that at the time. And so we built technology to do that. And what we realized was, in order for us to capture the full upside of what that technology would do, is we had to um, either move off, offshore out of the country or to Nevada. And instead, what we really looked to do was find a potential partner who could leverage that type of technology. Because, and, and this, is, uh, this is not very often talked about, just betting off of that information, you get limited. Limited means that if I walk today, if I walk into most sports books, uh, any sports book in the state of Nevada, and I try to get a bet down, I can only get so much down before they change the line or they don't let me bet anymore you probably i don't know you well i don't know if you've gone to vegas sportsbooks too often but I you have, could probably bet I whatever have. okay yeah,
1: well, yeah I, I don't have the kind of money that's going to change the talking, so.
0: and i'm not even talking money though necessarily like we're only talking like right. i could bet 100 and they they might they might stop me at 100 just because of they they know i have an edge that that the, I, they know that I have an edge, which is period, especially in the in-game wagering. So you can't actually capitalize that on for weird betting. So the only way to really capitalize that is to be the book. But the only way to be the book is where it's legal. And so we ultimately tried to find some partners or a partner that would uh, acquire the company that was offshore or in a place where sports betting was legal uh, who could take that technology and run with it. And they did. And actually, if you're betting during a game... Uh, pretty much anywhere, especially online, it's, there's a good chance it's based off of the technology that we built, because the company that acquired us white-labeled that technology and sold it to a bunch of other sports books to get the in-game betting. So the nice. point of that is there's two reasons. I was numb, and there was money <laughs> involved.
1: <laughs> and look, um, I'm interested in all the the peripheral things outside of the technology this time, but yeah. I I would be remiss. What was the technology at the time? Yeah. I mean, simulations, machine learning, AI, are you, I mean, I would love, so, so the,
0: this is a, this is such an interesting, yes is the answer kind of, but I'll explain it in a second. Um, And this is very relevant. So the the quick relevance to insurance is actuaries look at what's happened in the last three years, try to group people by uh, homogeneous groups and predict what they're going to do in the future. Instead of really paying attention to that agent base or that individual, whether it's a person or a business in our case. Mm. Same thing that happened in sports that so we changed. And what, what I did was entirely the box score. We didn't use a single piece of information that wasn't part of the box score. And we would take historical box score information from those players and those teams and blend everybody down, basically use, or use some machine learning to ultimately remove all of the bias in their numbers from how many opportunities they had to who their teammates were, to what the weather was like, where they played home or away. Sometimes elevation makes a huge difference as well. Um, And then obviously the competition, we would take all that bias away and say, who is that player on a per play basis with an average team against an average opponent on an average venue. Because if you break everybody down to just who's that individual in terms of their capabilities, you can move the parts around and say, okay, now plug him into this scenario or plug him into that scenario. And what we did then was build a simulation engine that was actually pretty straightforward. But would account for play by play, kind of choose your adventure, a lot of random numbers, <laughs> a lot of random number generation to account for what the likelihood would happen is when we actually had the interaction of those variables. All of, the, all of those individuals we were talking about, 22 in football, 10 in basketball, you'd get it. It's really just like two in baseball because it's pitcher to batter to fielder. But that is how we built that engine. and was There was not a single predictive model that could beat the model we built, period but that we built off of box score information until about 2019. So it took, the reason that's really relevant is that model, those models that started beating the box score models started use, were using data that we started capturing in 2004, like how much spin is on the ball or um, hmm. where the player is on the field in football. But it took 15 years to anybody to actually leverage that information to beat out box score information. And of course, had I stayed in that space, I would have wanted to be using some of that data. But it's a it's a really important point for me to try to get across here. That's the same thing in insurance as well. We're at the point where box score information is still all that matters. Like, what does this business do? Making sure we get that right. How many employees does it have? What uh is the revenue? Those things you can answer with data. And probably do better than most business owners at actually answering some of the box score information. And still just getting that right can do
1: so much better than most of the models that are out there. Hey, podcast listeners out here. This is another one I'm going to have to break up. I really enjoy Moneyball. I enjoy behavioral economics, and this has both of it. So we broke it up. First part, we talk about sports second part we talk about sports it doesn't matter so hopefully you enjoyed it we put some data in between talk to you next time